You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Southside Baptist Church, located in Florence, South Carolina. We now have two services, a classic service at 8.30 and a modern service at 11 o'clock. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, and uh, we've been in the series Healthy, Happy, Whole, and uh, the first couple weeks we were talking about anxiety, and today's about overcoming depression, walking with hope when life gets tough, and it does get tough at times. And uh, you may wonder, what does the Bible have to say about depression? How can a believer overcome dealing with depression? And um, what we might think in our own minds is that as believers, as Christians, we start to walk with Jesus, we're following Jesus, and um, we're man, going to church faithfully, we're, we're doing all the things you should be doing. And then, man, one day it seems like something triggers our uh, depression, and we become and uh, get to a point where, man, we just have the blues, right? Uh, but sometimes it can go even deeper than that. It can be tough. It can be take over our life, and and it's important to be reminded that that depression can be triggered by a couple of different things. One, it can be triggered by some of the different life circumstances, such as a loss of a job, um, and the death of a loved one. Um, Going through a divorce can trigger it. Um, it, Maybe past abuse. And we kind of looked at that the first week, that there's four root causes when it comes to our our anxiety and depression. It can be past abuse we never dealt with. It can be something that, um, a chemical imbalance, we need some help. Um, Sometimes it's also just life events. It's also just sometimes we never, never stop. Eventually, um, we hit a wall or we, man, we're we're all gas and no brake. And eventually we come to a curve. We can't quite make it around and we end up in a ditch stuck. And we wonder, man, how did I get here? But sometimes as Christians, we think, well, I love Jesus I know he's overcome. I know he's died for me. Surely I should not deal with any of this. But we live in a fallen world, don't we? We live in a world that sometimes we get in the crosshairs of evil. And we also get into certain situations in this life in which we have to deal with that are tough. There's some emotions that we end up dealing with that maybe we never expect that we'd ever deal with. And so we're going to see and read about a man of God That was a great Old Testament prophet that did some neat, cool things for for the Lord and some powerful things, but yet we're going to find him in a situation where he just wants to die. We're going to find him in a situation where there's a lot of self-pity. We're going to find him in a situation he just wants to be done and over with, but God's not done with him yet. And maybe you're here, you're watching, or wherever you're at right now, And you're in a spot in your life where you just don't want to live anymore. And you think, I know I shouldn't feel this way, but you do. I want you to know God's not done with you. He's not done with you. And we're going to see what the Word of God says, um, what we should do. And, you know, sometimes people are clinically depressed. And, I mean, it's a physical condition that we should get diagnosed. And that's one of the root causes and, and just as, man, just as your liver is an organ, just as your kidney is an organ, uh, your brain's an organ as well. 
And there's times in which that can get a little goofy and things can get a little messed up and you need some help. You may need some doctor to, uh, to help you out, to get you, uh, to get you situated. And depression can, um, can be caused at times, can be a physical disorder that can be treated with medication and also counseling. But that doesn't, that doesn't just let us out. That's just not an excuse to not be responsible for our actions at the same time. Um, and another kind of thing that we can uh, also need to be reminded of is sometimes there's medication we can be on that can cause some of our depression. You've probably have heard those stories in the past or even today. There's certain medications. And I know some of you just from knowing you a little bit, like, yeah, I was on that medication. I was just having some weird, normal, un- un- you know, thoughts that I normally do not have. And I had to, I had to either, you know, have a, a, a smaller dose of what I was on or I had to change the medication. Um, and that's a real thing. And so that's also something to be uh, mindful of. And uh, I know I had a family member, no one I never met, that was on some medication that caused them to be deeply depressed. And, man, they took their own life. And a lot of it was connected to that medication. Now, we can't blame it on that. Ultimately, we're responsible for what we decide to do. And the Bible tells us that God will never allow temptations into our lives that are too much for us to handle. And although being depressed is not a sin, every one of us, we're accountable for the response to the affliction which we have. And the wonderful news is this. We can overcome because Christ has overcome. And he is for us, not against us. He wants to help us, not hurt us. And I'm thankful that we have a God that loves us and can sympathize with us. And scripture tells us that we have a high priest, we have a God, we have Jesus who knows all the different feelings in which we feel. And so let's get into 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 1. It says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah, may the God strike me and even kill me if By this time tomorrow, if I have not killed you, just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. And he sat under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who who have already died. Then he lay down to sleep. Under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread, baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more. It must have been a buffet. Or the journey ahead will be too much for you. And so he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai in the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent he spent the night. Let us pray. Father, as we dive into your word and we dive into the story, I pray that we're, we're reminded that our help comes from you, that we need you, that being healthy in our body, soul, and spirit, taking care of our mind is important. It's important to you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So a little backstory here. God, um, out of nowhere, brings up Elijah. No name of him, no mention of him. Boom, there is Elijah. And um, he is, <clears throat> goes before King Ahab. He stands before him. His wicked wife, Jezebel, which, by the way, when she ended up dying, uh, the dogs ate all of her but left alone her, I believe it was her hands, because her hands were so dirty and so bloody, and uh, you know, spiritually speaking, and uh, didn't want to mess with her. She was a wicked woman. And so, nonetheless... Elijah goes before them. God is not pleased with Ahab and their wickedness and all that they allowed. And Elijah says, it's not going to rain anymore. And it didn't. It didn't rain for three and a half years. I mean, if you thought the drought out west California was bad, this was really bad. And so no rain, no crops, no crops, no food, no food. You get a famine. And they are blaming on this man of God. In reality, they didn't want to deal with their sin. If they had repented, I'm sure it would have been a different story. God would have lifted his hand off the rain and brought rain once again, but he doesn't. What's interesting is God then takes Elijah, if you know the story, takes him to a a brook ravine, a a place of uh, cutting away, a place of, of humbling, and he humbles Elijah in there. There, he is, uh, during the middle of a drought, there's a brook. That's where his water comes from. And the ravens bring him bread. The ravens praise God, bring him meat. I'm sure it was red meat. Maybe filet mignon wrapped in bacon. Okay. They were Jewish, probably not bacon. But I'm sure it was some good stuff, whatever God brought him. He had to completely in this time, depend on the Lord. And listen, you might be in a situation right now in your life where maybe God put you in a situation where the only thing you could do is look up. The only thing you could do is, God, I'm going to depend upon you because I can't control this. How much of our anxiety, how much of depression is caused um, by the fact that we try to control a situation or control something we can't control. And it just drives, it just, man, it just ramps up our anxiety. Man, it makes us anxious. It can happen. It can happen to any of us. And so eventually the brook dries up. God's like, it's drying up. Time for you to go somewhere else. I want you to go to Zarephath. He goes to Zarephath and there he meets a widow and her son. Now, it sounds like a, Weird story at first, but sometimes, you know, um, the way things, uh, the things God does sometimes is a little bit different, a little bit weird. But he goes and he sees the widow and she has a little bit of oil left, a little bit of flour left. It's going to be their last meal. He interrupts basically their last meal and says, um, please make me a cake. In other words, make me a biscuit. She's like, well, this is going to be all we have, but I guess the last one was the last we'll have. I guess we'll give it to you then. There's no food. So she does. She knows he's a prophet of God. And God blesses that widow. Never runs out of oil. Never runs out of flour. God is faithful. And he gets attached. I'm sure he got to know that family very well. But later on, the boy dies. And for the first time in Scripture, first time in Scripture, Elijah hears about it, goes and brings the boy back to life. First time you ever see in Scripture this happening. It's a miracle. Man, Elijah is experiencing the goodness of God, the miracles of God. I mean, 
he is seeing some, some, inc- some incredible, incredible things. And eventually God's like, okay, Elijah, I want you to go back to Ahab. And they've been looking, they've been, Ahab and Jezebel, they've been looking for Elijah. I mean, they've had people out and about, they're killing the prophets. And there's a man, a faithful man by the name of Obadiah, who was like Ahab's right-hand man. And Ahab doesn't know that he really is a follower of God that hid 7,000 of the, uh, of the, um, of the prophets men of God, and he split them up into two different areas, two different caves, and he's feeding them, he's giving them water, he's taking care of them. Elijah doesn't know anything about this. So God tells Elijah, hey, I want you to go, it's time for you to confront Ahab. And so he does. And there he ends up having a showdown with 450 of the prophets of Baal, the sun god, the fertility god, and also the 400 prophets of Astra. So 850 total. And they have a showdown of the gods. And they make their altar. They have their sacrifice. Elijah has his ox. In fact, he has his sacrifice ready for the Lord. And he says, you guys go first. And they dance. They cut themselves. They do all the things that you would think one would do in a ceremony to try to have fire come down from heaven to show that their God is real and nothing, nothing happens. And listen, the Bible is full of humor. And sometimes you just got to find it a little bit. But you know what Elijah does? He pokes fun. He does. Go back and read it when you get a chance. He literally says things like this. He says, wow, you guys are dancing good. Okay, he didn't say it just like that. But he goes, hey, maybe, maybe your God is busy going to the bathroom. That's what he says. And I mean, he's making potty humor at their expense. Maybe he's constipated. Maybe he's backed up. I mean, he just keeps going probably further than we want to go in church, right? He's making fun of them. Finally, are you guys done yet? Yeah. And on his sacrifice, they poured water in the middle of a drought. They dig a, um, I guess you see a trench around the sacrifice, and there's water even standing. I mean, middle of a drought, and got water standing. He's really pouring it on here. And he prays, and fire from heaven comes down and takes all of it and licks the fire, licks up the water. Now, Israel, Israel had let evil reign in their country. They let some awful, awful things happen. Now, when you read the Old Testament, you read and you're like, oh, man, this is thick. Now, there's some things in the Bible that are descriptive and there's some that are prescriptive. There's things in the Bible that just describes what happened. It doesn't, it doesn't you know, sugarcoat it. This is what happened, even if it's brutal, even if it's bad. It doesn't mean it recommends everything. But there are some things Israel was not doing and God was done. And God at times would use men and even at times Israel to bring judgment upon certain people groups because of the evilness that was going on from sacrificing babies, from sacrificing toddlers to the God of Moloch. I mean, it gets thick real, real, real quick when you end up looking in some of the the gods and some of the situations they were in. And Elijah, Elijah kills and the people help him. They kill all 850 of the false prophets. If you wonder what is God... Um, God is a God of justice. He's a God of righteousness. And when you get down to it, really, when you get down to it and you think about it and you read the Bible and you see the holiness of God, every single one of us, every one of us, we deserve death and we deserve hell due to our sin. Our sin is an affront to God. But God is love. And he's a God of justice. 
And because Christ offered himself as a payment on the cross, that he who knew no sin became sin for us on the cross, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That we can be declared righteous because of what Christ did on the cross if we repent of our sins and we put our faith and trust in him. But there's no other way to satisfy the, the wrath of God, the justice in which God requires. You can try it other ways. You won't find one. And so originally God made heaven, or made hell, and he made, um, uh, he made hell for Satan and his demons or the fallen angels. But those who reject Christ, those who reject him, that's where they'll end up. But you don't have to. But you must humble yourself. And mankind has tried to make their own way, tried to, tried to figure out their own thing, tried to accuse Christianity of not being loving. The most loving thing you can tell somebody is the truth. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't hide it. When it comes to Christianity, don't hide the gospel. Give the gospel in a kind way, of course. But there's some things in here. How does God deal with evil? He kills it. And we all deserve death. But he's shown mercy to us. And so that's what happens. God says, drought needs to be over, Elijah. I want you to go to the seashore. I want you to look out across that Mediterranean. And I want you to look. And you're going to see clouds, dark clouds with the size of a man's fist. And it's going to come. And it's going to rain. And it pours. And it pours. So as you read verse 1, when Ahab got home, those 850 prophets of Baal are killed. He's starting to lose his power. He's starting to realize, "Uh uh-oh, we're in trouble. And so what does he do? He goes and he whines to his wife. And this is where we find him. So think about this with Elijah. He has supernaturally experienced some awesome things from God. I mean, God has been faithful. There's a drought. I got you water, Elijah. When you need food, I mean, the birds brought him bread and meat. I mean, not just once, many, many different times. God took over care of Elijah. I mean, he helped raise a, a, a boy back from the dead, from death to life. I mean, he saw some really, really cool things. But as soon as a woman who was in power goes, I'm going to kill you, he's like, he runs. He runs. Why was he running? Why was he running? And we see these reasons why he gets depressed. Why is he, why this man of God who's seen the power of God and the wonderful things of God, and yet he's now running because someone threatened him? You would think after reading this story, he would just go up to Jezebel like, listen, it's my time, it's my time, but I serve the Lord, and you can't touch me until God allows you to touch me. But he probably had seen some of his friends die. No question, prophets were being killed. Things were happening, they were in hiding. He thought he was the only one. So why do we get depressed? Here's number one. We get worn out. And maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're just worn out. You don't stop. You're going to get worn out. And if you notice over the past few years, man, he's had these massive spiritual battles. He's trusting God. He's praying. He's trusting God. He's seeking God. And then he runs for his life. And geographically, he runs as far as you could possibly run. Then he leaves his friend, his servant, who's there with him. He runs as far as he can, and he's worn out. That's when God brings him water, brings him water, brings him food, lets him rest. And much like 
many of you, you may wonder, man, why do I feel depressed? Well, maybe, just maybe, you're worn out. You haven't stopped. You haven't stopped, and you wonder, man, I, and you may think, I can't stop. But we must not forget the principle of the Sabbath. No, we're not underneath the law any longer, biblically speaking. But there's still some wonderful truths in the Old Testament. The Old Testament's still the Word of God, amen? And though there's some things we're not under because Christ fulfilled, right? But the principle of having a day of rest each week is something you need. You take a day of rest. Maybe you have a job where you may a police officer, you're a doctor, you're a nurse, and you have to work some Sundays. That's understandable. Preachers work Sundays, right? Um, my one day a week I work. And anyway, uh, that's, what, that's a joke. Uh, but, you know, you need to find that time, that time of rest, every single one of us. And maybe you're a mom. Man, you're worn out. You're working a full-time job. You're going, running the kids here, running the kids there. You're going to this conference, this meeting, that, this, and the other. And you have church, and there's a lot going on. And you're like, man, I'm just worn out. Maybe you're a dad, and you're working 60, 70 hours a week. And you have other responsibilities, trying to be a good dad, a good husband, this, that. And you're just worn out. You need to get some rest. God can do more with your six days than you can with seven. It's true. And maybe you're in college. Maybe you're single and you're going full bore and you're wondering, why am I struggling in this area? Do you get any rest? And man, and, and listen, in today's age, technology is a double-edged sword, isn't it? And there's some wonderful things about technology. I love it as well. But there's some things you need to put some parameters. Some of you on your iPhone or, or whatever, I don't know what you call it, other smartphones, right? I don't know about the other smartphones, but on the, on the iPhone, there's things that you can, you can do on that that has different settings. Some of you should do that. Some of you let people call you at, that, that it's not an emergency, it's work-related, and they're calling you at 11 o'clock at night. That's not on them. That's on you. Amen? You need to go and go to your settings, and you need to go to something called Focus. And you need to make it, and you can allow certain people to call you. So you got like your spouse or your your um, you know son, daughter, and they need to get a hold of you. Like you can make it to where certain people come through, and certain you still get the text, you still get all the information if you want to check it. But there comes a time you got to put some parameters. Are you putting any parameters for rest? You need to. You ought to. You need to rest. You see, as well, you shut people out. And what happens is just as Elijah said, you know, left his servant there, went on by himself, he's trying to struggle alone. And that's what happens. Man, the enemy wants you to think you're the only one who has a struggle. You're not. Guarantee it, you're not. He wants you to think no one else knows how you feel, no one knows what else you're going through, and so you shut people out when you really, is a great time, you should be letting them in. Here's the thing that you do. You focus on the negative, which is exactly what Elijah did. Now, I realize, I realize some of us maybe are a little more naturally positive. Some of us, maybe, probably the majority of us are kind of in the middle. We're, we're a realist, right? And some are a little bit towards negativity. It doesn't matter. You're probably going to become what you focus in on, more than likely. And we have a choice. Our attitude, right? Our attitude is a choice that we make every single day. Now, notice what Elijah focuses in on here. And... Um, I think it's verse, uh, verse uh, 4. He says, and um, yeah, halfway. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Man. Now, 
What's so interesting, he runs away from Jezebel who wants to kill him, but now he wants to die. I'm kind of like, just run back to Jezebel. She'll take care of it for you, man. But he doesn't because he really doesn't want to die. That's what it is. He just wants to complain. What's going on? Self-pity. He says, I'm no better than my ancestors. Self-pity. The funny thing is, is no one even asked him if he was. He just is in a self-pity mode. And we can easily, any one of us, get there. But that's what he's in. And you know what self-pityness does when we're in a self-pity mode? Self-pityness exaggerates. No one loves me. No one likes me. You know, I'll just eat worms and die. You know, like we just exaggerate. We exaggerate. And that's, that's what we end up doing. And um, that's, that's exactly what he's doing. We're self in a self-pity mode. We go, I'm no good. I could never. I'm not better than so and so. I'll never do this. I'll never do that. People get into it. Knock it off. That's where you're at. And that's where we find. Why are you dealing with depression? It could be that you're in self-pity mode and you're stuck. And maybe, just maybe, you need to change the channel. It's time to change the channel. It's time to change what station you're listening to. So if you want to get depressed, man, focus on the negative. Here's the next one. Forget God. That's what Elijah did. You wouldn't think this prophet of God who experienced the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, the miracles of God, that he would lose sight of God. But he did. He did. And we can so easily forget that God is for us, not against us. That we're a child of God. That we have an inheritance that he is with us. But, but he does. He forgot about the supernatural protection. He forgot about the birds feeding him. And the, the brook that um, was there during the drought. And um, man, he forgot. So four steps. Wear yourself out. Shut people out. Focus on the negative. Forget God. So what's the answer? What's, what's the answer? And what do we see God do with Elijah? Notice first, rest of verse 5. So what does he do? He went, he laid down, and he slept. And then what did God, the angel brought him food. Brought him water. And so he wanted him to rest. Maybe, maybe, think about this now. Um, I know growing up, man, Sunday afternoon's a good nap time, Right? You ever think about this? What if the reason, what if the reason we like naps so much on Sunday afternoon is because it's the Holy Spirit kind of nudging us to rest? The most spiritual thing you can do at times, not always, is rest. Jesus took naps. Think about that. You know, by the way, if you go and you really kind of study Jesus, I think you'll see that Jesus was an introvert. Think about it. See, you can be an introvert, but you still enjoy being around people. Of course, you can be an introvert and go, I don't want to be around anybody. I just want to read a book and stay at home all night. That's fine, you know. We are a little bit different. Some are extroverts. Extroverts tend to get their energy around people, man. Their battery, boom, gets charged when they're around people. Introverts, their battery gets drained when they're around people, even if they like people, but they get drained and they, got in, they need to have kind of a time of being alone for a moment to kind of recharge. Honestly, that's, that's me. I like people, but 
Uh, man, people drain me. And once I get on a little bit, I get recharged. I'm ready to go again, right? And so that's just how I'm wired. And you may be wired a little bit differently, and that's, that's okay. But Jesus took, took naps. And you need to realize, especially for who you are and the way you're wired, if people drain you, even though you enjoy being around them, you need to realize, man, get that nap time in. Get that time in to where you can re-energize in your life and take care of that body in which God has given you. And so he's resting, he's eating, he's drinking. And what's interesting is that um, he ends up he ends up going uh, in verse 7 and 8 and says, Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him. He said, Get up, eat some more. You have a journey up ahead for you. And so he ate, drank the food in 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. Now, it's believed that where he went was where Moses received the Ten Commandments. And God says to him, But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, when God asks a question, kind of like how he asked Adam and Eve, why are you doing here? God already knows the answer. He's not looking for you to answer it for him, right? I mean, he's God. He he knows everything. He's like, Elijah, what are you doing here? It's almost like Elijah went there to kind of recapture the goodness or the faithfulness of God or the feeling of being close to God, knowing that, man, that's where the law was given. God's like, what are you what are you doing? Why are you here? And God sent him there. It's almost like he wants him to verbalize it. What are you, what are you going there for? It's almost like he's in an area of almost like a spiritual place, kind of church. So it's almost like starting off, God's letting Elijah know to get out of this depression. Man, I need you to rest. I need you to eat. I need you to drink some water. Some good stuff. I, I need you to go to church. So very simple. Think about this. Let's just simplify it. Maybe, maybe you're feeling the way you're feeling. And the antidote to that is you simply need to rest. You need to eat. And you need to go to church. Amen? I mean... That'll do you some good. Here in South Carolina, you can find a buffet. They're on every corner. And it, man, you'll get plenty to eat. You won't go away hungry in South Carolina. If you do, it is your fault. Amen? I know how some of you grandmothers cook. Like you, It's your own fault if you go to grandmother's house here and you are still hungry. Eat, rest, go to church. Here's the second one. Notice verse 9. Verse 9 And we already read verse 9. Verse 10 says, And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. True. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. That is true. Torn down your altars. True. And killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left. And um, now they're trying to kill me too. False. And the last part is true. They're trying to kill him. But he's not the only one. He thinks I'm the only prophet left. No. Obadiah, he has 7,000 of ones just like you who haven't bent the knee, who haven't given up. The Lord's with you. So he had this lie in which he was believing. This lie that he was believing, and God wants to 
And, and this is something Satan's always done. Even with Jesus in Matthew 4, Satan loves to try to replace the truth that we're living by and replace it with a lie. And Elijah was believing a lie that he was the only one. He didn't have it. He didn't know the truth. And God's going to reveal to him, no, I'm going to replace that lie with the truth. And that might just be the same thing in which you need to do. Maybe you're here or you're watching and you struggle with, man, you have low self-esteem. You think, I'm not really anything. I'm not really worth anything. I really will become nothing. My father was this or this. My grandfather was this. And you just kind of go on down the line. You make excuses of this, that, and the other. Maybe you even look back and you go, but man, my generation, like there's like a generational curse on my family. You know, I, I come from a line of, you know, thieves or alcoholics or this, that, and the other. And I'm going to be no better than them. Don't believe that lie. But preacher, I thought there is a thing such as generational curses. Doesn't it say in the Bible? Yes, it does. It does. But it also says this. We also know that because of Christ, generational curses are broken. But the enemy loves to repeat that you're going to be just like your father or your mother or your grandfather or this, that, and the other. I'll give you an example, just my own family, right? So my grandfather was an alcoholic, my dad's father. My father had an alcoholic father. Now, my grandfather eventually got right with the Lord, and I knew him more as a sober man than I did as a drunk man or anything like that. And his father was a doctor, my great-grandfather was. And I don't know, I never knew him, never met him, but... I believe he drank quite a bit, and we, you know, maybe he had some morphine in him as well. Because growing up, my grandfather would tell me stories of like, because his father was a doctor, there was barrels of morphine everywhere in the office or wherever they stored it at. My grandfather was like, if I knew what that was back then, I don't know if I'd be alive. And that probably is probably true. And my great-grandfather died of a heart attack when my grandfather was 14 years old. Maybe it was from morphine. Maybe it was from, I don't know what it was from. But as you go on down the line, and he was Scottish. He came over when he was, I think, four or five years old. So Scotland, of course, Irish, all of them, they, they love to drink, right? And so my, my father followed the same footsteps, the same generational curse of falling and drinking alcohol. But at the age of 21, my father got saved. I've never seen my dad drink a beer. I've never, said my da- I've never seen my dad um, you know, do any of those things. But if you go down in our family line and you look at um, uh, uh, the, the other brothers of, I guess you say, my great uncles, you can see that not everyone followed the Lord in some of those areas. But what's so interesting is that some followed the Lord and some did not. And you can see their children and their grandchildren and on down the line. You can probably see in your own family. Christ breaks the curse. So whatever the enemy is trying to make you think of what you are and you will always be, in Christ, we're a new creation. Amen? In Christ, we are brand new. In Christ, we have hope. In Christ, we have a future. In Christ, he makes 
everything completely new. And he wants to do something new with you. Amen? He may be, you may be the one that God does something new completely in your family. And because of your faith, because of your faith in Christ, man, you're the one stopping that generational curse. Amen? And you can do that. And so don't believe that lie. And that's what he does all the time. So you may think to yourself, man, my kids will never get back in church. My kid will always be this. Don't believe that lie. God has a desire to reach your child, your grandchild, whoever it is. Maybe in your mind that you think, man, that loved one that I have, uh, they'll always be an addict, always be addicted. Don't believe that. Keep praying for them. Lift them up to them in prayer. Maybe you're looking for a better job and you don't like the job you have now and you're wondering, God, do you even know where I'm at? And you're starting to lose a little bit of hope. You're going to lose a little hope and you're starting to think, God, you even know where I'm at. Don't believe that lie that he doesn't. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly what you're doing. And Elijah, I think God just wanted Elijah to voice his problem, to verbalize the lies he was believing, and also be reminded of the truth of God's faithfulness. And maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to write it down or maybe you just need to get by yourself in your vehicle or at home And verbalize some of the lies that you're believing. And also verbalize and be reminded of God's faithfulness. Scripture tells us to take every thought captive. Having the thought is not the sin. What you do with it can lead to sin. Or it can lead to righteousness. And so scripture says take every thought captive. And make it obedient to Christ. You have a choice on what you want to think on. You have a choice on what you're going to believe. And so, where are you right now? Where are you right now? Well, maybe God might take um, what you're dealing with and, um, and, and what you're believing and say, you know what, that's not actually the whole truth. There's 7,000 other people who are worshiping me as well. There are believers who surround you who are with you, that have had some of the same struggles that you have had. Scripture mentions that that when we confess our sins to other brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a way which brings healing. It's a way to see that other people are in the boat with us, that there's other people there to help us. And maybe that's your struggle. Maybe you're a man and you struggle with pornography. And you're like, man, I don't want anyone else to know. You need to find a faithful brother in Christ. You can come alongside that has experienced freedom that can help you, and you can have freedom. Maybe you're an alcoholic, and you need help, and that's a struggle every day for you, and you've been clean for a while, but you need help. Man, you need a brother or sister in Christ to come alongside. I don't know what it could be for you. It could be doubt. It could be self-esteem. I don't know. But, man, there's believers who surround you. Then you also have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to help you. He'll comfort you, help you not believe such lies. Here's the third one. God ends up speaking to Elijah through a still small voice. Notice verse 11. We'll get through this. It says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And the Lord told him, and Elijah stood there. And the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast, the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. But the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. It was audible. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. 
And the Lord told him, go back the same way you came. A still, small voice spoke to him. Now, it was an audible voice. And I do believe the Holy Spirit, in a nonverbal way, speaks to our hearts. He lives inside of us. Sometimes he'll speak through circumstances for us, to lead us. He'll speak through other people at times who love us and want what is best for us. Without even them, without them even knowing, realize what we're going through or what's going on. And he can lead us. Now, I know sometimes we will say, like, man, um, I'm listening to God's still small voice. That's not exactly accurate because now God can speak to us if he really wanted to audibly. I don't think that's how he's working necessarily today. But he does speak to the Holy Spirit in a nonverbal leading way. Now, if you do want to hear God's word spoken out loud, you want to hear God speak to you. There's a simple, foolproof way to do it. You want to know how? You can open the Bible and you can speak the word out loud. Amen? Like you can do that. The Bible, think about this, is the word of God. Do you want to hear from God? I think we all do. Then read the word of God. And it will speak to your hearts. There's something called illumination. The Holy Spirit uses the scriptures to speak to us. Amen? And if we're not in the scriptures, we're missing out on that opportunity to experience just that. You know, sometimes when we are the lowest, God speaks the softest. You ever notice that? And he wants to speak to you. God is gentle. He is kind. And I'm thankful for that. And I don't know where you're at, but he wants to speak to you. And the last point, we're going to be done. The fourth thing that he does is God gives Elijah something to do. So notice what it says. That's what it says here in verse 15. And the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, anoint Haziel, king of Aram, Anoint Jehu, son of, grandson of Nipshai, and to be the king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, from the town um, of abel Melanom, And to replace you as the prophet. He gives him someone to mentor. And maybe, just maybe, God may give you someone to mentor. And if he was speaking to us moms and dads and uh, Christians here this morning, and he is, he would say this. Get to the root of your issue. Let me heal your mind and your heart and your spirit. Then it's time for you to get back doing what you do. If you're a mom, get back to doing what moms do. If you're a dad, get back to doing what dads do. If you're a person of prayer, go back to praying like people. I praying for people each and every day. Do you have the gift of serving? Go back and serve somebody. Do you have the gift of giving? Go back and give something. Whatever it, get back and do what you're called to do. You know, it's, it's said that during the pandemic, there was a time where anxiety was at an all-time high, it seemed, and depression was at an all-time high for people. What's interesting is that while those were at all-time high, many of us were stuck at home or home more than normal. And God designed us men to work. He designed us to go, to do. 
He designed all of us to do something. Isn't it interesting that our work went down and our anxiety and depression went up? Maybe, just maybe, it's time to switch that and we'll see it switch. That may not be the complete answer. I realize maybe in a sermon doesn't answer or help every aspect of what you're dealing with, but I think there's much in which we've covered this morning. This has been an attitude of prayer as those getting baptized come on over to the door and over here to the double door. We're going to baptize here this morning. Let's be in an attitude of prayer. I just want to give you a moment to pray. Let me ask you, are you depressed? It's between you and God right now. I'm not asking for hands to be raised. I'm not doing that. Are you struggling? Would you like someone to pray with you? I'd be happy to pray with you. Maybe you're at the end of your rope. Maybe you're like Elijah and you're thinking to yourself, I'm just, I'm done with life. I'm no better than anybody else. Maybe that's where you find yourself right now. For truthful, we all have been there at one point in time. If not, you probably will be one day. But God hasn't lost sight of you. He knows right where you're at and he loves you. I want you to know we love you too. You're not weird. You're not crazy. You're just in a bad spot right now. And the wonderful, beautiful truth is God will help you. He really will. Do you know him as your savior? If you don't, you can accept him here this morning. You can pray and become a Christian this morning. Will you pray with me? Maybe that's you. Pray, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins, Jesus. I'm putting my faith and trust in you. If you prayed that for the first time, we raise your hand, show it high to Jesus. So I'm giving my life to Christ this morning. Maybe you're watching, please let us know. We'd love to get in contact with you. Pastor Lucas, I need prayer. I'd love for you to contact me today or next day or two just to pray with me. We you raise your hand and say, Pastor Lucas, I'm, I'm having some struggles right now. I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen. Anyone else? Pastor, just pray for me. Get with me. God, thank you for those who raised their hands. But I pray for them in a special way. It's okay to not always be okay. We don't have to pretend as Christians that we always have it all together. I'm thankful for your love and your mercy and your compassion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, two things real quick. I'm going to run and change, and we're going to have a little song here for you. I know this is lasting a couple more minutes than normal, but that's okay. We get to celebrate baptism here this morning. So, Brother John, it's all you, buddy. <laughs>